Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Voller, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minute Thrive. Thank you for joining us today. I am so excited for our conversation today because you get to hear from a very talented and experienced individual, Jess Pettit. So Jess is a top facilitator and educator in the diversity and inclusion space. She spent the last 20 years teaching, motivating, and entertaining more than half a million people just in North America alone. And speaking of that, Jess is actually one of our keynote speakers at Emory's 2023 DEI conference this year. So Jess, I know your main goal is to kind of start that DEI conversation while also ensuring that people feel at ease and really feel safe to learn and ask these questions on DEI. So for our episode today specifically, we're kind of going to delve into the world of good enough now and that philosophy and really its impact on personal growth, its potential to create positive change in companies, relationships, and communities. So before we dive into that topic, I'm really kind of curious to know, Jess, what got you started on your DEI journey? Well, I first off, thank you for having me. And what I get asked quite often, like what got you started? And there's kind of two answers at the same time. The quickie answers are number one, I was lucky enough to grow up in Texas with parents that were um, very curious. So anytime I would ask a question, I was sent to the library to go find out all the different kinds of answers and then did presentations to my family on the fireplace about whatever it was. So I think most of the questions I asked seem to be kind of around what I think collectively we would refer to as the underdog or hypocrisy or things that just didn't make sense. And I I wasn't raised in an environment where like, nope, this is it. Don't ask any more questions. So I think that is a significant part of my curiosity. Um, I think the other part is, is that uh, when I had real jobs, I often was advocating. I worked as a college administrator. Um, my first master's is in higher education administration with an emphasis in crisis management. So I worked on college campuses advocating for underrepresented students and how the college or the university could better serve its surrounding community. And in doing that, would often point out what the university was doing to impact the community in a negative way or how they were underserving students. So I would get fired, go to another one, get another job, get fired. So I kept getting fired. And eventually, uh, I know it's an HR conference, but hi, HR, I spent a lot of time with you. Um, But mostly I got fired because I was advocating for something that the university didn't want to do differently. Um, Spoiler alert, I would say that in my younger years, I didn't understand managing up um, and maybe would use like a different font in how I advocated, but I would do it all over again because I have just always attempted to advocate for those that didn't have a voice at the table. So mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you stayed curious and that's kind of helped you with your DEI journey. I think that's a big yeah. take. So Jess, we mentioned that you're also the closing speaker 
keynote speaker at our DEI conference this year, and your session is titled Good Enough Now. So can you kind of explain what is good enough now? Um, Can you kind of share your thoughts on waiting to change versus taking that immediate action to kind of be the best version of ourselves? Absolutely. I think that I should probably full disclosure, I am a Virgo. And I'm a really anal retentive person, which means that I have perfectionist tendencies, definitely have experienced some imposter syndrome in my life. And as I was listening to my audiences, to be frank, I was kind of burning out on talking about vocabulary and approaching diversity in kind of this way, old way that I used to do it. And I was burning out because I wasn't noticing a lot of progress. And then being a perfectionist, if you can't solve this problem, then it's very unmotivating. And in my kind of sinking burnout stage, I started listening to my audiences in a different way. And I kept finding them coming up with a reason or an excuse to not engage in a conversation or to not actually go and start something or do something or they wanted to. There was a want there. But they they couldn't like just go because they didn't feel adequately prepared. They were waiting for all the correct variables to be in place. And I realized at kind of the intersection of what I would call my burnout because of perfectionism, there was this you need to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like if we're waiting to solve this problem, wouldn't you think somebody amazing ahead of us would have already solved it? And the... I think it's an excuse is to wait until you have it perfect because we feel entitled to the success or feel entitled to winning. So when I kind of noticed this as my own cure to keep me in this work, I realized in my kind of mantra is do the best you can with what you've got some of the time, frankly, because it's better than nothing, never. And obviously, this does not apply to like surgery or things where accuracy is really important. But when we're talking about advocating for someone, trying can be, frankly, trying. It can be exhausting. But when you don't know how to start trying, what you end up doing is you start trying to try. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, trying to try is good enough place to start. Right. I feel like it's all about kind of just taking that first step. And I know a lot of perfectionists out there who probably appreciate this, this kind of concept. Um, But how do you personally relate to the concept of feeling that imbalance between who you are and kind of like what you mentioned, who you think you should be, where you think you should be in the context of DEI? Well, I think what's at the root of diversity, equity, and inclusion is either um, kind of, those of you not watching the video, I have two hands up, right? So One of them is recognizing all of the pain and suffering that you have experienced in your life has made you who and how you are in the world. And that is a really important thing to acknowledge. There are also a lot of privileges that have made you who and how you are. And most of us kind of enter this advocacy or DEI work because of our resilience or our survival, which includes like code switching at work, doing things that you need to do to to hide certain parts of you or cover certain lived experiences or identities you have to navigate the workplace. I totally get that. I understand. And for my subordinated or marginalized identities, 
the organization that I've done to stay alive or to thrive is very personal to me. Totally get that. However, if we were to enter from our privileged identities, there's no risk. It's not about thriving. It's about just trying to do the right thing. So I try to really inspire myself and others to enter these conversations from their dominant or privileged identities, because that's the place where we have all the tools and the resources to actually do something, even if we can't do it perfectly and we might not actually notice a win, we're doing the right thing because it's the right thing in the right way, regardless of how our life has taught us how to be. Um, I try to role model that. I tried in my book, I try to like create a pathway for people to gain their own self-awareness of what it is they could be doing and encourage people to try to do just that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I feel like sometimes taking these steps um, make kind of produce some challenges. So what are some kind of common challenges that you've seen people face when striving for better relationships, um, bettering themselves, fulfillment, stronger teamwork in the realm of DEI? I I mean, I think the, the answer is in good enough. People don't feel good enough and also at times have experienced what it does feel like to be good enough. And they're actually the same feeling, right? It's like, oh, I'm kind of, but I guess I can give this a whirl. Um, Even if it's something outside of a DEI context, you're driving around and you get a flat tire. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself a flat tire handler expert, right? So then there's this kind of incompetence moment where you're like, oh, I don't wait. What do I do? And then like every TikTok you've ever seen comes like flashing back to you. And all of a sudden you're like, lug nuts. That's a word I haven't used in forever. Lug nuts. I need one of them sticky things to get the lug nuts off while you're fumbling around in the trunk of your car looking for the, is it a crowbar? Is it a jack? I don't know. Sticky things that you do the lug nut twisty bits. This like little kernel of information comes where you're like, do it in a star. Where did that come from? I don't know, but you undo it in a start. Now, all of a sudden, you know this, that methodology, you're, it's okay. It's good enough information at the time because you're in a pickle. You got a flat tire. You got to figure it out. When we start interacting with other people, even when we call it DEI work, most of us think we're only doing DEI work at work. Mm -hmm. So then when we clock out of work and we're at a grocery store, we're not employing those same skills. And what I'm here to talk about is not new skill development, but it's really right. recognizing when you choose not to use them right. and when you do choose to use them because it's good enough to try. Um, the other thing I would say, and I know this is a little bit more of a longer answer, but often when we think of challenges, we think of challenges outside of ourselves. And my challenge to everyone is to think of the challenges inside yourself. And when you are most challenged or most confronted, how are you showing up and how do you expect other people to show up? And you can actually adjust how you show up instead of waiting for other people to show up differently. So this is the, I'll talk about this in the keynote, this is the head heart action model. And once you can figure out kind of where you lean, particularly when you're challenged or feeling confronted or trying to decide to use the skills you currently have or to like take an off ramp, um, it'll be really helpful for you to know that 
I believe our lives have taught us who and how to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just, we're responsible for this kind of like net zero of how we begin a conversation. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of self-reflecting to do after this podcast, it seems like. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) Well, you've kind of embraced and highlighted um, just kind of being your authentic self and how contributing that authenticity really um, kind of helps DEI efforts. So in your experience, how does the authentic self contribute to these efforts and initiatives? It's your base level foundation. Um, I think everyone, and this maybe this goes back to even perfectionism, but I think everyone knows how they are supposed to ought to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to show up this particular way, but you're you're responsible for knowing how you're actually showing up and then deciding, taking ownership of the gap between the two. And do you want to be showing up in a different way or do you not want to? Like we often talk about, and I, I call this an Instagram font, but of giving grace to other people. And we don't necessarily know what that means, but we also don't even give grace to ourselves. And so what I think giving grace means is that person, whoever you're thinking of that's annoying, their life taught them that that's the way to show up. Similarly, your life taught you that this is the way to show up. Neither one guarantees that you're accurate or correct, but you did learn this in your life. And do you want to keep that learning or do you need to upgrade? Mm -hmm. That's great. We've talked a lot about just a lot about the good enough now philosophy, but do you have any examples or just any real life stories on how individuals or organizations have applied this philosophy to enhance their DEI initiatives or existing strategy? A little bit. I think that um, I'm working on a new book right now, and uh, I have a case study sa- uh, sampling that y'all are welcome to download, look, give me feedback, give me your ideas, et cetera. But I think what's interesting is, is there's not a lot of room for failure. And if there is failure, we want to fix it as quickly as possible. But I think failure is a way of looking at a step in the right direction that didn't quite make it. Right. And so uh, my new book is called Almost or and it's almost finished. Ha ha ha. <laughs> But it takes the good enough now principles and applies it to an organization instead of your own individual sense of you know life or decision making. But on an organizational level, I track 56 different case studies of my own clients where something was attempted and it didn't quite work. And my premise is that it didn't quite work because it didn't use the full model. It only kind of enters in one place. Uh, The tagline is when answers need to ask more questions. And there's a lot of quote unquote best practices within DEI that are not necessarily successful, but it's kind of what everybody does. And so what else could we do to flush out one of these initiatives or programming ideas or response ideas or diversity statements or whatever? Can we flush it out in a way that's paying attention in this three-sided model so that it's set up for success instead of just being a reactionary response. Um, I I find that to be 
probably the most debilitating thing that I work with with organizations when I do consulting work is back in 1984, they tried something and it didn't work. And so then we're done. We just don't, we already did it. Um, Or maybe they did something and it did work that one time, but there's still pain and suffering happening. And if we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and we keep adding more letters, now we're adding belonging. The reason why we have to add more letters is it's not working because we haven't actually dismantled the systems inside of our workplaces to actually include everyone who is there, everyone we serve along our entire value chain. And in order for those people to really weigh in to part of the office culture, they have to buy in. And in order to buy in, they have to feel like they belong and are valued. And that's the real work we need to be doing. Well, I'm looking forward to that book almost. Um, and that'll be interesting to kind of read those case studies too. And we've included Jess's uh, number where you can text, ask any questions, give her feedback, um, and also her contact information. So if you do want to get in touch with her about that book, we've got the resources for you. But kind of talking about this whole belonging, how does self-acceptance play into the whole um, journey of being the best version of oneself in the context of DEI? It's a really tricky question, but it, it mostly resides in internal responsibility. And there is nobody who isn't a hot mess, right? And often when we engage in these conversations, we want to point fingers at somebody else who is a bigger hot mess than somebody else. But this is a weird suspension of gravity, not gravity, haha. <laughs> don't suspend gravity, suspension of grammar, whoops, so close, <laughs> so close. But if like I'm pointing my finger at you because I think you are a mess, I'm somebody else's mess, mm-hmm. right? Somebody looks at me and is like, I don't know what the heck's wrong with her, but if she'd clean up her act, then it would be much better. So if I actually were to do that and to become more self-aware, to be responsible for myself and quote unquote, clean up my act, whatever that means, I'm role modeling for other people how to do it and forcing other people to realize that I've become more responsible for my behavior, not just when I'm at work, but when I am in a car wreck or at the grocery store or talking to a stranger at some festival, I'm still responsible for everything I do, everything I say and who and how I am when I show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point that these, these ideas and these philosophies, they don't only apply when you're at work. They should apply all the time. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people are probably wondering, how can I improve immediately? And I know we always talk about the DEI journey, that it takes steps and sometimes it takes a lot of time and practice. But do you have any ideas on what can individuals take away right now that they can start making those positive changes kind of immediately in the DEI space? Sure. So two answers again. So the first one is stop looking for the finish line. So like a lot of us think that once we get a certificate or enough different friends or have updated our vocabulary enough, we are then done. That's not how this works, right? This is a forever and always thing. So the the progress is it becoming more natural and being able to think about what are your responses, right? Like there's a gap between your knee jerk reaction or response and the actual response. And that moment in between is where responsibility and reflection come in. So that's when you're actually 
working it is when you take time for that little second response instead of just your knee-jerk reaction. That's actually making progress, but it doesn't get you somewhere. It helps you decide where you're going to get. So that's the first thing I would say. The other thing I would say is one of the links that you have is to a survey. And the survey will help you identify how you right now are showing up across difference or in conflict. And it's either going to be very detail-oriented, very idea-oriented, or I don't have time for any of that business. I just want to do something. And when you figure out how it is you're showing up and you get a little bit more used to or comfortable with your own showing up habits, then it's a lot easier for you to adjust how you're showing up based on how other people's showing up habits are happening. Um, those are the two immediate things. Let go of winning or finishing and mm -hmm. how are you right now? Because that's your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Kind of part two of this question, then I would just add, if you have anything to add on this, any strategies or just basic practices that our listeners say can adopt to align their personal growth with their DEI goals and values? The hardest one, and I'll talk very specifically about this in my keynote as well, but the hardest one is what I would call the 100% responsibility. Um, I do not recommend trying to do this 100% of the time because it is exhausting. But notice when you're not doing it and when it's easier to do it. And what I mean is, is that before you say something, email, text, whatever, can you prepare yourself to be 100% responsible for whatever it is that's about to occur once you say, text, send the thing? And a lot of people will say, like, I'm only 50% responsible, but frankly, that's how marriage therapists have job security. And I'm going to ask you to take some time to be 100% responsible. Mm -hmm. So then no matter what it is that comes back at you, if anything, you're way less defensive about it because you had made a solid 100% responsible choice before doing something. Just try that every once in a while. Or like I like to say, do the best you can with what you've got some of the time. Mm -hmm. It will be a life-changing way of blending what you think is a diversity, equity, inclusion kind of mindset with your authentic self in every interaction you have with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great mentality to have. I'm definitely going to try that out after this. Um, well, as we kind of wrap up here today, Jess, I know you've given a lot of great advice and actionable steps, but do you have any last kind of mic drop moments on how leaders and listeners today can just take that take that step to create a more inclusive and equitable environment based on all the principles that you kind of listed out for us today? Honestly, the hardest thing for people to actually do if I'm having a mic drop moment is I double dog dare you to stay in touch. You would think that that'd be pretty easy. Like, oh, she's accessible. I can text her anytime. I can you know connect with her on LinkedIn or whatever. But people don't do it because it's hard to hang in your own space. And what I would, the mic drop moment is who else is going to hang in your space if it's not you? So we have to stop looking at this as just something external to us and step into ourselves because no one else can do that to do the best we can with what we've got some of the time. I'm If you want to learn from other people's failures, notice external to you, read my case studies, give me some feedback, see what your thoughts are. If you want to stay in touch, 
feel free to connect on LinkedIn or text me. The number is 202-670-4262. But the truth is you won't. Maybe you'll connect with me on LinkedIn, but then that's it. And we don't hang in our own space. And if you happen to notice that you are in your own space, do the survey again. Go do the survey again and find out how in that moment, how are you showing up? Is there a pattern of who and how you are? And then what is that like for other people witnessing or interacting with you? You can take responsibility for that. And I'm here to help you along the way. So I double dog dare you. Stay in touch. Do your own work. (laughs) Right. Well, Jess, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And thank you for sharing all that great content. Um, I can definitely walk away with a lot of great, impactful, actionable steps. And to our listeners, if you liked our chat and topic today, I would just urge you to comment something new you learned today or anything that you'd like to add on to our conversation. Don't forget to share out this episode. Consider joining MRA if you aren't a member already. We have all the resources you need in the show notes below, including resources about Jess and our topic today. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in today. And thanks again, Jess. We will see you all next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.